Um, we're in, um, uh, actually, this would be the third part of the Judge Not series because uh, Pastor Jared kind of took the second part last week. So we're going to look at the notes this week that I was going to look at last week. And let's go back to the book of Matthew where, where our text is in the book of Matthew chapter 7 verses 1 through 6. I want to just say welcome to all of our guests who are here today, all of our visitors, all of you who uh, are here for the very first time. Can we give it up for them one more time? And our online audience, those who are watching online, thank you so much for being with us today. Those of you who are here for the first time, don't forget to pick up your free gift on the way out uh, today. Matthew uh, 7, verses 1 through 6, the words of Jesus, do not judge so that you will not be judged for in the way you judge you will be judged and by your standard of measure it will be measured to you why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye but do not notice the log that is in your own eye or how can you say to your brother let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. And then verse 6 looks like it just really doesn't have anything to do with the first five verses, but it does. Do not give what is holy to dogs. And do not throw your pearls before swine, or they will trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. And we'll talk about that a little bit today. You know, this sounds so simplistic, doesn't it? Don't judge. Don't judge. Judge not. Sounds so easy. And I got to tell you, this phrase, don't judge, judge not, kind of fits our time, doesn't it? Because we live in an age when the wrong use of judge not would find a ready audience. Our time that we live in, our modern time that we live in, hates theology, study of God. The time we live in hates doctrine. The time that we live in despises convictions. People speak um, approvingly about love. We're supposed to love one another. People speak approvingly about let's all compromise so we can just all get along. I mean, can't we just all? People speak adoringly about unity and anything that gets everybody to kind of become one. So anyone, that is especially any preacher or any teacher or any Christian who comes along and begins to talk about doctrine, truth. A person who comes along and begins to talk about creeds and convictions about right and wrong is generally unpopular in most circles of our modern society. The time that we live in dislikes people of strong convictions. The time we live in dislikes people who speak up and confront society 
who disturb the status quo. Our time dislikes people who know what they believe and why they believe it. The modern age we live in uh, dislikes those who are not intimidated about expressing their thoughts. People of conviction, that's a word you don't hear much about these days, isn't it, conviction? People of conviction today are branded as out of date. People who have convictions about what is right and wrong are viewed today as troublemakers, controversial, judgmental, old-fashioned. I thought about the scripture we read a couple of weeks ago where it talked about the way the Pharisees viewed Jesus when it said they viewed him as being hopelessly out of touch. That's the way the the world views us. If you know anything about church history, if you've studied your church history, you know there have been times when people of conviction and truth were praised for their courage. There's been a time in our history as a nation, there's been a time in, in especially, again, church history, when people were praised for their courage, praised for taking a stand for what is right. They were praised for being people of principle and people of standards and people of doctrine. But the fact is, you know, when we think about church history, there never would have been a reformation had it not been for men like this, men of courage and conviction. But people of conviction today, men and women who draw a clear scriptural line between what is right and wrong, they're viewed as being difficult, non-cooperative, they're self-appointed. These people, when, when we speak from the Bible and we speak about what Jesus said and we talk about right and wrong, we're viewed as being self-appointed and unloving. You know, if you're real honest, in our day, the person who is praised and admired, the person who is the hero of our day is the compromiser. The compromiser. So when Jesus said, judge not, he was not condemning any and all judging or discriminating. And that is the principle, that is the truth, that is the thing I want to lay down in this message today. And I want you to get hold of this today. Because we live in a time, and we're going to say this a lot during this series, we only have one more sermon, but you've already heard it in the previous two sermons Judge not, judge not. Anytime we draw a line, anytime we speak about a conviction, anytime we talk about standards, anytime we talk about convictions that come from the Bible about what is right and wrong, not only do we hear people outside the church in the world say, oh, judge not. Now we say it in the church. Judge not, not supposed to judge. But I want to say again that when Jesus said judge not, he was not condemning any kind of judging. He was not condemning all kinds of judging or discriminating. As a matter of fact, the Bible is clear that believers must be discerners. Believers must be people who discern between truth and heresy who discern between right and wrong. The whole message of the Sermon on the Mount is centered around a clear understanding of the distinction between true religion and false religion. The whole Sermon on the Mount is all about determining the difference between hypocritical living and real living for Christ. 
We're not to be undiscriminating. We're not to be, as one writer put it, blind sentimentalist. In fact, verse 6, that weird verse at the end of the text I just read that talks about dogs and, and it talks about dogs and hogs. It talks about dogs and swine. Look what Jesus said, Give not that which is holy unto the dogs, neither cast your pearls before swine. As a rule, followers of Jesus are to preach the gospel to who? Everybody. As a rule? As a rule, we are to preach the gospel to the wicked. We are to preach the gospel to the profane. As a matter of fact, the Bible says Jesus himself preached to the publicans and the sinners. We're to share the gospel with who? Everybody. But right here, I want you to notice in verse 6. Right here in verse 6, Jesus draws a line and says that when we encounter the obstinate, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, when we encounter those who blaspheme the gospel, when we encounter the severe persecutor of those who believe and speak truth, you know what Jesus said? Jesus said, don't spend much time there. Don't spend much time there. So what is Jesus asking us to do? Now in verse 1, he says, judge not. But in verse 6, he's asking us to make a judgment. He says, there are some people, I want you to share the gospel with everybody. But when you run into that person who is so obstinate, such a blasphemer of the gospel, severe persecutor, don't spend much time among these people. I mean, Jesus didn't mess around right here. He referred to them as pigs and dogs. He said, because your efforts would be for nothing. Isn't this amazing? Jesus says, don't waste your time. Turn to others who are more likely to listen, Jesus says. Jesus said, when you, when you stand there and continue and continue to try to convince these kinds of people to follow him, it's like casting pearls. You ladies love pearls? I've given Millie many a fake one. <clears throat> thing that's so funny to me is most people don't know the difference. <laughs> and so, I hope she's not watching online, but... Jesus said, when you keep presenting the gospel to people like that, it's like taking a handful of pearls and casting it out as pig feed or dog feed. He said, because they're not going to receive it. They're not going to accept it. You know what Jesus is saying here? Jesus is saying it's like feeding holy and precious things to pigs and dogs. Don't do it. <laughs> Jesus is telling us here in verse 1 not to judge, and then he tells us in verse 6, judge. Because you see, there's a wrong judgment, and there's a right kind of judgment. Now, if we're going to obey this verse, we're going to have to find out who the pigs and the dogs are so that we can obey God and so that we don't spend our time and energy trying to get them to believe, uh, to determine who these people are. We've got to do some discriminating We've got to do some evaluating. I'm sorry. I know it doesn't sound right in our modern day, but we've got to do some judging. We'll never know who these people are. Stay in Matthew 7 and jump down now with me to verse 15. 
Look at verse 15. Jesus says, beware of the what? How in the world are you going to know who the false, prophet are, false prophets are if you don't put what they say up beside the truth, which is the word of God, and do some what? Judging. You've got to do some discriminating. You've got to do some evaluating. Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Listen to the words of Jesus here. The implication here is that if a person does not make a good, sober judgment and only perceive things outwardly, superficially, then all they're going to see are the sheep's clothing and they'll never know there's a wolf under there unless they do some right, not wrong, but right kind of judging. There must be discernment. There must be judging, or we'll never recognize the false prophets. Then Jesus says, don't judge. <laughs> then Jesus says, but if you don't judge, you won't recognize the dogs and the hogs. Without right judging, we'll be deceived, put ourselves in all kinds of danger. Most importantly, spiritual danger. I'm telling you, church, and I, I'm not trying to bring division in our society today. I think this church is together. But I mean, even with this preaching, I'm not trying to bring division into our community. But I'm telling you right now, this whole idea of everybody just grab on and everybody, we're all one. You know, I'd like to buy the world a Coke. Y'all remember that song? Perfect what? Yeah, see, that all sounds so good, doesn't it? It all sounds so good. Put some flowers in our hair. Go to San Francisco. <laughs> Not. So this looks like one of those Bible inconsistencies right here. I mean, the Bible haters, they love to find these things and go, Jesus says, don't judge, and then turns around and says, judge. Your Bible. I like to point them out, and they're always telling us about these because in the very text that tells us not to judge, we're then immediately instructed to test things we hear, test things we see, discriminate, evaluate between the true and the false. Let me give you some examples. Let's go through the Bible. And uh, I started to put all these scriptures up on the screen, but I decided what I'd do is just put the references up there. So... Um, Let's just look at some of these that, that talk about judging rightly. In the same book of Matthew, chapter 18, 18, so we're going to give you three references here right quick. Matthew 18, 15 through 19, and, I, and they should be in your sermon notes that were passed out there today. You don't even have to write this down. You can go home and look these up later. Because uh, if I read all these and went through all these and, and exegeted all these, Y'all didn't know I knew that word, did you? And if I exegeted all these, then we'd be here a long time. So everybody be thankful I'm not doing that. But in Matthew 18, 15 through 19, Galatians 1, 8 through 9, 2 John doesn't have any chapters, so 2 John verses 7 through 11. In, in the Matthew scripture there at the top, we're told to confront a sinning brother. Did you know the church is told, pastors, are told, we're told in the church called the bridge, 
that we're supposed to confront a sinning brother? We're, the Bible talks about that we're supposed to do some judging there and we're supposed to confront that sinning brother and we're to do it boldly and we're to do it forthrightly about his sinfulness or her sinfulness. And then the Bible goes on in that scripture to say that if that person doesn't repent, we're to make it a matter of public knowledge. <laughs> How many of y'all read that recently as your personal devotion time? See, we like to stay away from that, don't we? We like to stay away from that part of the Bible. We like to stay in those parts of the Bible, you know, that say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And that's a wonderful verse. A lot of y'all use it out of context, but it's a wonderful verse. We're told to confront a sinning brother boldly and forthrightly about his sinfulness if he doesn't. Uh, repent, then we're to make it a matter of public knowledge. So obviously we are not to be flabby and soft in our obedience to Scripture that calls us to be discerners in the church, that calls us to judge in the church. See, a lot of people, I'm sure, thought, man, Pastor Farrell's going to get up there in this series and he is going to nail the Pharisees. You're right, we are going to nail the Pharisees. But I'm also going to come at it from the other end and tell you that not all judging is Pharisaical judging. There is right judging. And let me say this, that the day the church does not own and function in its responsibility of right judging is today the church will dissolve. We have to do this. It makes the church strong. Galatians 1, 8 through 9 tells us if somebody comes and preaches another gospel, let him be accursed. In 2 John verses 7 through 11, Man, this messes up the stuff we're hearing today. Matter of fact, I just got to say this, and then I'm going to just get right off of it because I know I can get on this and stay a while. Have y'all noticed that we're to embrace every religion? We're to give every religion a good hearing. We're to give every religious system a good listen. We're to give every religious system all the benefit of the doubt except one. Christianity. 2 John verses 7 through 11, John writes about judging teachers. He says, if anybody comes and talks about a Christ other than the Christ of the Bible, don't receive him into your house. Don't even bid him Godspeed. Because if you do, you become a partaker of his evil deed. Booyah. Amen? See, that's pretty strong right there, man. We don't like to go there. Because we, you know, harmony, flowers. Look at 1 Corinthians 5, 1 and 2. Because you know, it's the worst now it's ever been. Sin is more terrible now than it's ever been. People are so right. Well, let's just look at this. When Paul writes to the people at Corinth and says, I also received a report of scandalous sex. Now, up until this point, I've had a lot of people who don't know anything I've said, but they're now all listening. 
I also received a report of scandalous sex within your church family. A kind of scandalous sex that wouldn't be tolerated even outside the church. One of your young men is sleeping with his stepmother. Next slide. And you're so above it all, you're so above it all that it doesn't even phase you. Shouldn't this break your hearts? And the church said, shouldn't it bring you to your knees in tears? Shouldn't this person and his conduct be? Now, you want to get in trouble as a pastor? You want to get in trouble as a staff? You want to get in trouble as a fellow Christian? You do that right there. You do that right there with sin in the church today. See what happens. Paul was talking about they need to be removed from the church. If they won't hear correction, they need to be removed from the church. Most of the time you don't have to remove them because once they find out you're not going to let them get, go on with their sin, they just go ahead and leave. Now, I want to I just share something with you today. I just got to, I, I just, I love this church. And I'm going to tell you something, guys. If we, if we are good at everything we do, but we're flabby right here, and we're soft right here, then our church is weak. Our church is not a strong church. You say, yeah, but we got a big church. It don't matter how big it is. It doesn't matter how much money's coming in. It doesn't matter how many people are sitting on the pew. I'm telling you, when you don't deal with this stuff right here, when you don't deal with it as a church in a loving, corrective way to bring restoration to a person's life, when you just sweep it under the rug, and I'm seeing it, I'm seeing it, In churches everywhere I go and everywhere I turn, churches that won't let pastors deal with it, pastors who don't want to deal with it and just let things go on in the church, I'm telling you what it does, it it makes us anemic. It makes the church weak. So we're talking about right kinds of judgment here. Here's Here's what we run into. When I reviewed this passage, and I was reading it, getting ready (coughs) to preach today, it made me wonder how the modern church would have dealt with this situation. You got a guy in your church who is sleeping with his stepmother. How How would they have dealt with that in the modern church today? And I, got, I want to tell you some things I hear when we have to deal with situations in this church right here. Now, let's not talk about the Methodist church down the road or the Baptist church down the road or the Church of God down there. Let's talk about the bridge because I don't know what's going on in those churches. All, the, the church I know the most that's going on is in this church. And the people said, I mean, let's talk about our house. Let, let the judgment of the Lord begin in the house of the Lord. Amen. Now, I'm going to tell you something. When we let God clean the house up, the Spirit will come. And when the Spirit comes, you see the miracles, you see the salvations, you see the changed lives, you see people filled with the Holy Spirit. So let me just 
tell you some things I hear when we have to take a stand. And when we have to take a stand, we've talked about it as a staff so many times. We, we just talk about how it's got to be done in love. We can't do it in a, in a mean-spirited way. We want to do it because you know what the Bible says in Galatians 6 and 1? And this is not even in the sermon. I'm giving you this for free. I'm not going to charge you any extra for this. Galatians 6 and 1 says, You who are spiritual... You who are walking right with God, when you see a brother, not an unbeliever, but another believer, when you see them overtaken in a fault, you that are spiritual, you that are walking right with God, go to that person in the spirit of what? Meekness, meekness, humbleness. Go to them in the spirit of meekness and humbleness, considering yourself. Lest what? Lest you also be tempted. Did y'all get that? So if Pharaoh Hardison is going to confront somebody, I better do it humbly because I might need to be confronted next week and I want to be confronted humbly. Y'all with me out there? But I, I, I got to tell you, I have people who say to me, Pastor, I mean, they'll send me messages and, man, I thank God for a church that preaches a truth. And I thank God for a pastor that preaches a truth. I thank God we have a church that stands. And I thank God we got a church that has a standard, boy, and, and we don't mind preaching it like it is and until that has to be exercised on them. And until that has to be functional as it relates to them or their family or somebody they love, then they're like, you're being judgmental. I, I got to tell y'all, can I preach like this? Just did. I see that in our church. I'm not saying it's not in every church. It probably is. But here's what I'm saying to you. If we want to be not just a church, but a mighty church, then when somebody comes to us with correction, let's don't automatically say, well, I'm going to tell you what, this is where you're going to have. I'm just going to leave the church. I'm just going, no, 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 no. Let's, let's sit down. Let's talk about it. Because you, listen, not only, not only could Pastor Farrell be confronted with sin, Pastor Farrell has been confronted with sin. I mean, when you're the pastor of our church for 24 years, you think somebody ain't going to come up in 24 years and go, I need to talk to you, man. You didn't do that right. Of course, you know, I'm just like y'all. My first reaction is I'm, you know. <laughs> but if we can learn, if we can learn, look, I'm talking, about, I'm talking about me. I don't like to hear it either. I don't like to hear it either. But if we can learn to say, this is somebody who loves me, my church loves me. I don't know what they're talking about. I think they may be mistaken, but I need to hear them. I need to hear what they're saying because they love me. They care about me. But you know what we're concerned about most of the time? Who, who told you that? Who? Who said? You know what? Can I just say something to you? It don't even matter who said it. All that matters is, is it? I'll just pause while y'all shout. 
Pastor, I just love it when you take a stand against sexual sin, like adultery and fornication, homosexuality, until you confront those in my life. And I'll leave the church. You confront it in my family, I'll leave the church. Pastor, I just love how you and the staff preach from the Bible and you don't hold back any part of the Bible. I just love how you always preach the whole Bible. But I tell you what, it rubs me wrong when you talk about my money. Let me just get a sip of water right there. <laughs> Y'all can't blame this whole thing on me. I'm taking Percocet. <laughs> yes, helping. <laughs> <clears throat> Got me another one for the second sermon. The true character of a church. The true character of a church. The true character of a church. The true character of an individual Christian is revealed in how they respond to truth. Even when that truth confronts the sin in their own life or in the sin or sin in the life of their family. Paul writes in 1 Timothy 1, 18 through 20. Here are some scriptures uh, that are in your notes. In 1 Timothy 1, 18 through 20. Everybody love me out there? Y'all still love me? Remember, can't get mad at me because I'm sick. All right, Paul writes in 1 Timothy 1, 18 through 20, the Hymenaeus, yeah, I mean, I'd have been mad at his mama too, Hymenaeus. But the Bible writes about this in this scripture, 1 Timothy 1, 18 through 20, that Hymenaeus and Alexander were put out of the church because of the corruptive influence they had in the church. Hebrews 5.14 teaches us, and throughout the whole Bible, we are taught and commanded to discern. Try the spirits. Isn't that in your Bible? Try the spirits. And why do we try the spirits? To see whether they're of what? God or not. When you're trying the spirits, what are you doing? You're judging. But there is a right judging and a wrong judging. The Bible teaches us, not only in Hebrews 5.14, but in other places, that we are to have our senses sharpened by the Holy Spirit so that we know the difference between good and evil. Because one of the things the enemy's doing in these last days is he is blurring that distinction. He is blurring that line. He wants it all to be gray. Nothing right or wrong anymore, but just this murky gray. When a believer doesn't know the difference between good and evil, it says in Ephesians 4 that that is a sign of spiritual immaturity when they're not able to recognize the difference between good and evil. Without the ability to discern 
without the ability to rightly judge, we as individual Christians or as church as a whole will become a victim of Satan's cunning craftiness. Not only should we judge, we must. We are commanded to discriminate. We are commanded to evaluate. We are commanded to judge, but do it rightly. So when Jesus says not to judge in Matthew 7, 1, he's speaking of a different kind of judgment. So let's talk about the wrong kind real quick right here at the end of the message. Jesus is saying the Pharisees are judging the wrong way. Jesus says, I want you to be discerners. I want you to judge. I want you to evaluate. I want you to try the spirits. But there's a right way and a wrong way. And he says, I want you to know that the Pharisees are doing it the wrong way. When you judge, do not just be critical. Do not, do not be condemning. Do not do it with a self-righteous, egotistical way like the Pharisees do. See, the Pharisees were judging, and really when you dig into that word, it just means criticizing. I always like what Dr. Adrian Rogers used to say before he passed away, don't take much size to criticize. Anybody can do it. The Pharisees, that's what they were doing. They just criticized other people, and here's what they criticized, their personality. You can't judge a person because of their personality. But the Pharisees would. The Pharisees would judge them because of their character, because of weaknesses. How many have weaknesses? All of us. They judge people because of their frailties. Of course, the church has never done this, but they judge, judge people because of the way they looked, because of the way they dressed. The Pharisees judged people because they, they assumed their motives. They criticized people just simply because these people didn't do things the way the Pharisees wanted them done and the way the Pharisees did them. So in our modern times, we hear that we should love everybody. And this means that we should never judge anybody, but that's not what Jesus is teaching here in the book of Matthew chapter 7. As a matter of fact, let me close with one final scripture right here at the bottom. Leviticus 19.17. And I'm not going to read the scripture per se. You can study it on your own. That's why I didn't put all the scriptures in there. But in Leviticus 19.17 the basic message is don't hate your brother. Don't hate your brother. Instead, what your brother? Love your brother. Don't hate people, but love people. And then it turns right around in that same verse and says how you love them. And the way it tells you to love them is by rebuking them when they sin and not allowing them to sin. And see, we don't take that as love. If somebody sees me straying away from God, if somebody sees me practicing a lifestyle that's not godly, if somebody sees me doing something that they know is hurting my testimony and, and, and people aren't going to want to listen to my sermons, and they're not, you know, th then that person needs to call me aside and say, Pastor, 
I, I just love you. I just want you to know that what you're doing is being perceived. I just want you to know that, man. I love you. I'm with you. But that's being perceived like that. And if I'm the man of God, I ought to be, I ought to look at that guy and go, hey, thank you so much. I didn't know. I didn't know I was coming across that way. Or maybe I did know. And I just break down and confess and, and say, that is how I felt. That is what was going on inside of me. Thank you for confronting that in me. I'm not saying that's easy. I'm not saying that's easy. I'm telling you that in Ephesians 4, it tells us that the man who's able to do that is a mature Christian. The woman who's able to do that is a mature Christian when they're able to receive it. In other words, to allow your brother to sin and not confront him is not to love him, but to hate him. Leviticus 19. So love, love doesn't overlook sin, love confronts it. I'm not talking about going out of here today and backing somebody up in a corner and going, man, I'm so glad he preached that. I've been wanting to lay into you for some time now. <laughs> talking about that. Actually, actually, if you're thinking about, if you're glad I preached this because you got somebody you're going to lay into, you've totally missed the point. I'm not talking about you getting somebody. I'm talking about you being willing to be confronted. We're talking about spiritual maturity today. Do you hear what the new pope said when he was asked about homosexuality? You remember what he asked? You remember the question? He said, who am I to judge? You're the stinking Pope. I mean, no disrespect, but come on. Matter of fact, any sin that I call out, it isn't me. That sin has to be clearly spelled out in the scriptures. Any sin that I take a stand against, any sin that I would say, no, we don't tolerate that. We, we love them. We want to help. But no, that is not a lifestyle that we accept in our church as being a normal lifestyle. It's not me judging to say that. All I got to do is go to the Bible. The Bible is our standard. The Bible's the standard. The, the, the standard isn't what Farrell Hardison thinks it is. The standard isn't what the Pope thinks it is. The standard isn't what any man thinks it is. I'm telling you, boys and girls, listen, let me just say this real much. Like it or not, the standard is the word of the living God. And, and so when we call stuff out, it's not because we came up with it. It's because the word of God is just crystal clear. And I know you say, yeah, but you know, I read something on the internet. Really, did you? <laughs> Jesus is teaching us that when we find sin and tolerate it, that you're not loving your brother. It is love that confronts. You don't do it publicly. When you've got to talk to somebody about something, say it to the right person. See Johnny sitting there. If I got a problem with Johnny, guess who I need to talk to? 
I'm going to come here and talk to this guy about Johnny. That's what I'm going to do. Wouldn't that be wrong? If, you've got to, if I need to talk to Johnny, Johnny needs to talk to me. Then I say it to the right person at the right time in the right spirit and in the right place. The right place is privately. The right time, you got to time stuff out. You know, like if I'm about to walk up here and preach, don't come up to me and go, hey, listen, why everybody's shaking hands? I want to tell you, I need to confront you with a sin, but just go ahead and preach and I'll get with you right after the service. Because when the lights come on, I'm going to be up here like this. You know what I'm saying? Right person, right time, right place, right spirit. And when you confront me with my sin, don't be happy about it. She had a few tears. Amen? I mean, you can tell me I'm going to hell. Just cry when you tell me. Don't be, you're going to hell, man. Yeah. I've heard preachers preach it like that. Father, teach us. Teach us, Jesus. Teach us how to judge rightly.